Hey everybody, welcome back to On Point. This episode, I sit down with Greg again. We talk about the second half of a conversation that we didn't get into in episode uh, one of Getting Tuned Up with Greg. And uh, this this episode, we hit more on the vein configuration, veins, arrows, and kind of talk about more of that aspect. The first uh, episode with Greg, we talked more about the bow tuning aspect. So kind of transferring into arrows here and, and vein, vein configuration. And then also some things that we uh, we get on our soapboxes towards the end about shooters and, and, and what you can do as a shooter to become better and what's really needed for information out there in the industry as a whole. But great episode, a lot of information here. My audio, just a quick disclaimer, my audio for the, like the first 27 minutes um, is, isn't, isn't the best. It, it's, it's my backup audio. I finally was able to get it working about a half hour into the podcast. So if you can't listen to the to my audio. Luckily, Greg was talking um, pretty pretty much most of the time um, in the beginning. But uh, if you can't deal with my audio, just fast forward to the uh, half hour mark, and it's all good. It's, it'll be just like it is now. So, outside of that, appreciate Greg for coming on to the show. I think we're even going to do another episode, but try and make it live where we can answer questions. So, keep an eye out for that. And if you haven't yet, I'd really like to get some more reviews on iTunes. Try and break 200 reviews this year. I think I'm sitting around 132, so every review would count and, and, and matter, and it helps us get uh, found on iTunes, I believe. So if you haven't yet, please go do that. You need to leave a comment so I can see who, who left it in case I do a, a giveaway in the future. But outside of that, appreciate you for listening, and I will see you in the end. All right, let's get this thing rolling. We're only nine minutes uh, behind schedule. So. That's, that's on time in my <laughs> world, bro. So, well, first of all, let's start this thing off. So how, how's, how's your shoulder, shoulder doing after that surgery? Um, it's not bad. I mean, it's, uh, it's certainly not, uh, you know, when I went in, I was told that it was a supraspinatus tendon tear. And after the surgery, hadn't really talked to the doctor. And so it's been two weeks. And I just been kind of doing what I do, which is probably not the best thing. Had a couple little incidents with some dreaming scenarios where I woke up throwing my arms around, which is not doctor recommended. Uh, but I actually went to my uh, my post surgery appointment yesterday and found out that the supraspinatus tendon tear was only three millimeters, um, which for those of you listening, probably like me, you have almost zero reference for how big that really is. Uh, whether that's a, you know, severe or not, but apparently three millimeters was not enough for them to actually even address it. Hmm. However, the completely torn off and detached labrum muscle, however, uh, was, was the big deal. So that's actually what they, what they ended up fixing. So I found all that out yesterday and I don't know if that is a good or bad thing. doesn't really matter. The surgery's over now and I'll just make rehab my bitch and we'll do the thing. So, yeah. but other old, than that, uh, archery or football injury or what is that? No idea. I, I, I literally have no idea how I did it. Um, according really? to the surgeon and a lot of those folks, um, this is the, the most awesome story to tell is apparently about 80% of these injuries happen happen getting out of bed. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So not the injury that happens in bed I was hoping for. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but that's basically what, what that is. Um, so, I mean, the worst part of this for me it, right now is having to sleep in a recliner. Oh, you really, yeah, that sucks. So I did go, I did go buy an adult sized recliner. 
so <laughs> I don't look like a monkey fucking a football when I'm in this recliner. <laughs> so I, you know, I look normal in it. Um, when my wife Kathy sits in it, it's pretty comical looking. It looks like one of those big giant chairs with a. Hmm. So it it it's a big big chair, but I I just don't necessarily like that. So but well, so far as long so as there's not a uh, box of half done tissues and a in a bottle of lotion next to it, we're. <laughs> We'll say you're doing good. The station, yes. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. station. Yeah, no, no, we're good. So uh, other than that, what's going on with you, brother? Uh, getting over, uh, just got off antibiotics two days ago. So if I'm coughing and, and sniffling through the podcast, I, I apologize. Um, no worries. I hate listening to podcasts where guys are sick, so I like not been recording. Right. And I'm, this is my, uh, Monday will be my third week being sick. So What? Yeah. You got the corona or what's the deal? Yeah, I got this bacterial infection. I was doing some jobs down in California, and then uh, it hit me like a sack of crap. And just man, and then it. I'm still I like I was going to the gym four or five days a week. I haven't been to the gym in two weeks. And wow, yeah. So it's yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get over it, and I'm good enough to record now. So uh, there you go. But uh, so our last episode was a pretty big hit for my podcast. Uh, guys really liked it. I know you got inundated with a few questions. Sure. Um, I got quite a few questions myself after that, especially, uh, on the aero build, cause I've been doing, um, these rabbit ears, custom, custom aero builds and, um, and guys are really digging that. So I wanted to get into the aero tuning aspect is really last time we hit, we hit the bow tuning aspect a lot. Mm -hmm. We talked about broadheads a little bit. Um, we talked about veins a little bit. We're going to, I really want to kind of finish that conversation off and then move into, uh, getting accuracy out of your arrows now because we really we really did dive deep into the into the tuning and I got a lot of really good feedback about that guys are changing um, the way that they tune after listening to that the biggest thing I heard was the 21 foot rule for paper tuning guys are changing the way that they're doing that so right. um, a lot of guys you know like myself were doing it at sub 10 feet so yeah it's 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 pretty eye-opening when you have been quote-unquote tuning for lack of a better, basically tuning and you have uh, what you consider to be the tune you want at whatever given distance it is. Mm -hmm. And then some jackass like me goes, Hey, that's cool, bro. <laughs> step back to step back to seven yards and see what it does. And virtually nobody. And, and look, man, I, as much as I would like to say that the industry has failed at educating. Yeah, dude, most of the people in the industry don't even know a lot of this stuff. So it's, mm -hmm. it, it's all relative. But most people would never think you can have a bullet hole at point blank range and you can have a dumpster fire at seven yards. But most people just wouldn't, just wouldn't correlate that. They, right. they, it's just people, you know, just don't get exposed to that level of, of tuning. It's not detail. It's just tuning. It's information. And, and so folks don't necessarily get exposed to that enough. But when someone like yourself is like, dude, I'm Gucci, man. I got this, you know, this eight, 10 foot tear going. It's a perfect bullet hole. It's fantastic. And then you step back and you shoot that and you're like, wait, hold, wait, huh? A half inch high, high left. Or, I mean, I've seen them even worse than that. Then people are like, they immediately start to question their equipment, not necessarily themselves. And it's, and the correct answer is it's neither. It's the process. That's it. It is literally just the process. Um, you know, it's no different than buying, you know, uh, new tires for your car or truck. 
Mm-hmm. You don't just buy new tires and throw them on. There's another process involved, and that is having them uh, balanced. Mounted and balanced, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you go buy new tires and just slap them on at home and don't balance them, what are you going to get? It, it, all over the road. Yeah, it'll drive great <laughs> at 25 miles an hour, but when you hit 60, guess what? And, yeah, exactly. And that's and and that's all this is is yeah is once you once you get to that level and understand you know and and I don't really remember if we talked a lot about it before, but did I talk about the the you know the the paper tuning, the bear shaft tuning, the line tuning as far as yeah. being okay. So yeah. those are the different levels: the macro, the micro. And so as people get it, you know, it really turns everybody into a sponge because whether it's your listeners, my listeners, whoever it may be, I was that guy almost 20, about 20 years ago where I'm like, yep, yep, yep. And then as soon as you see some things like that happen, it, what it really does is it starts to show you how much you don't know. And that's where I was. And there's still things I don't know. I mean, I just happen to know more than some. But I learn new stuff all the time. And that's really all this, all that process is, is getting people to the point where once they can open their eyes to, okay, a bullet hole at 8, 10 feet is awesome, but you can have a totally different tear at 7 yards, 21 feet. And then once you, and this is the part that kills folks, and, and I've explained this, I don't, I don't think we talked about it, but <coughs> if you have a bullet hole at 10 and not a bullet hole at 21, and then you tune to a bullet hole at 21, you still have a bullet hole at 10. Hmm. So once you have a bullet hole up close, it's pretty, it takes quite a bit to actually not have a bullet hole up close. And so if you have that bullet hole up close, as you work your way back and tune to tune all the way to seven yards, you're still going to have that bullet hole at, at either point blank or eight to 10 feet. You're just maintaining that tune farther back. That makes sense. And and I was actually playing with my tune the other day, shooting these injection builds that I've got going on. And, and have you seen the, that build at all um, I've, on I've Instagram? Done. I've just been I've posting done. the shit out of it. Guys probably get annoyed by now, but um, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't, I just built them and I didn't do anything. And I was just, I just wanted to see how slapping inserts in without even doing anything, just slapping inserts in, flapping or putting some fletchings on there, the AE maxes and, in the blazers what I was shooting with and then um, slapped and I, and then slapped uh, I'd say I had about 275 greens up front and uh, how much 275 greens up front Woo, okay. it's 200 280 shaft so okay. I went I went big and uh, I was shooting just I mean I, I was shooting one arrow um, and after I spun it I was like good god uh, no wonder why I'm getting horrible broadhead flight because the day before that I was getting great and I'm like I didn't and I forgot to look and see which arrow it was and so i swapped arrows real quick and then um that arrow i think was the arrow that i grabbed previously and then i was shooting like i mean my last two shots at 80 yards with broadhead the same arrow same broadhead were within about uh, i in the video i say an inch but it's probably better than that at 80 and it was like holy shit like that's without doing much tuning and then if you actually bear shaft um and give them that much foc um and that much fletching I can cover up probably quite a bit of it of an issue because I'm getting a pretty bad uh knock right tear bear shaft mm-hmm. but um it's just absolutely pounding right now and so right. what 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 can you add on to that what can you elaborate on to that well I mean 
I guess, first of all, and, and look, we don't necessarily need, need to go down the rabbit hole of the super high FOC, you know, trend right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm only at 16% because my GPI is 11.2. Right. And so, so here, here's my thing when it comes to arrow weight, uh, my buddy, Corey Anderson, the MMA fighter at, at 205, just put up a thing on his Instagram the other day asking about arrow weights. And I see people talking about arrow weights all the time. Right. Here's, here's the thing. <clears throat> if you want to shoot that, you will have to tune to shoot that. And it's really just a matter of what, this is archery. The number one thing in archery is personal preference. No question. It's all it boils down to. Agreed. Now, now, if you're shooting a 304 grain arrow and you're complaining to me about penetration, <laughs> even though you're shooting 330, okay, well, I'm going, I can explain to you the physics side of why that's not going to happen. Um, if you're shooting a, you know, I mean, I shoot a 600 grain hunting arrow with 175 plus grains up front. However, I'm five foot 19 with a 32 inch draw length shooting 73 pounds. I can do pretty much whatever the hell I want. Right. Like literally I, I'm shooting an almost 600 grain arrow at like 277 or something like that. I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't know. Have you ever seen, um, <clears throat> get them to the Greek? with yeah. uh oh yeah <laughs> you know where where uh stroke the furry walls <laughs> yes exactly so you know when puff daddy's in there and he's talking about ha having all those ch chicken restaurants yeah and he's like years. yes and he's like i'll be fine <laughs> i will be fine y'all yeah. are fucked but i yeah. might be fine <laughs> right you know? so so for me i'm fine i'm shooting a 600 grain arrow at 275 plus I can do whatever the hell I want. I don't care about shooting 300, 320. So, so for you, you know, shooting 275 grains up front, the one thing that, that, that a lot of people don't necessarily take into, take into effect is, is the, is the, the static spine versus the dynamic spine. And a lot of, you know, I just got off the phone with uh, two remain nameless celebrity uh, yesterday who was building a, super stiff arrow, but had went with a company that built that stiff arrow in a light GPI. And what he found was, huh, okay. All things are not created equal. A 11.1 GPI in a certain spine is not going to react the same as a 9.8 or a 10 GPI in the same spine arrow. It's just not how it works. The static spine is one thing, but once you start adding 275 grains up front, right. you start changing a lot of the, the load ratios on that arrow. And so for you, are you right-handed or left? Right. Okay. So, so basically what you're doing right now is, this is just my opinion, folks. If you want to send any hate mail, send it all good. Um, <laughs> right. Is your FOC is basically tracking moderately bad arrow flight to the dot is, is literally what you're doing. If you're a right-handed shooter and you have a, a knock right bear shaft, mm -hmm. which would be a either whether it's impacting in the middle or not, generally <coughs> speaking, if you have a right, a knock right bear shaft, you're going to have an impact point left. You can have an impact point in the middle with a knock right as well. But the, if the arrow's not straight, regardless. But if you have a knock right bear shaft, you're basically shooting a right tear. Yeah. 
and for a right-handed shooter, you're going to hell. Now, that doesn't mean you can't kill stuff. It doesn't mean you're not going to hit the dot. It doesn't mean you're not going to shoot fairly well. What it means is, is you are, you are swimming upstream as far as the tune of the bow and the arrow, and it's not nearly as effective as it could be. So what, and folks aren't going to like this, but what Band-Aid is Garrett putting on his rig to be able to shoot the way he's sh shooting right now? Massive, F, massive weight up front. So you have the back of your arrow wanting to do one thing, and the front of your arrow is like straight Debo. Like, nope, what you got in my 40, <laughs> homie? We're going over here. Yeah. So, so, my, so what I would say to you is I would consider a couple things. One, regardless of what the arrow build is, think how much better it would shoot if it was flying the way it needed to. Makes sense. And if, because right now you're stressing the shit out of those veins. Because the better the arrow flies, with or without a broadhead, and I think I said it on the last podcast, is um, a bare shaft will react the exact same way as a fixed blade broadhead with veins will. So if you have a, now, if, if you're shooting an expandable, then you can pick boogers for the next minute or two because this doesn't necessarily apply to you for the most part. Mm -hmm. But if you're shooting a fixed blade broadhead and you have a bare shaft that is impacting left with a knock right, mm -hmm. that's exactly what that fixed blade with veins is going to do. So if you can tune a bare shaft to be, Mod to fly moderately well, you are putting less stress on your veins because what you're doing right now with your with yours coming out tail right, you're forcing your veins to have to work their ass off. So the back of the arrow is like in 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 straight panic mode until it can correct itself, and the front's just kind of leading the charge. So what I would tell you is I would try to get that that tail right under control. Mm -hmm. Because then regardless of how much point weight you have up front, your entire system is going to be more efficient. And so you, your, your entire arrow build is going to be better. Regardless, e even if you went from 250 to 175, if you were to do that with the same tune you have now, it would most certainly shoot worse because you would be losing that 75 grains up front that's dragging a poorly flying arrow behind it. Well, with the 280 shaft, I'm, I'm kind of screwing myself out of shooting because I mean, I, I, to get the dynamic reaction I need, I got to have, because I'm not, I mean, I'm I cut the arrows just over 26 inches because the day six components add almost an inch right. on any arrow. So, I'm, I mean, I'm already, st I'm stiffer than a 280 if I cut it to 26. Correct. So, Way stiffer. Way yeah, stiffer. Yeah. So, I, I'm pretty much stuck, and I, and I you know, I, I thought about it, but I had the components, and I'm like, well, the 280 shops will match to the components I bought. So, I was being really freaking lazy and not ordering what I probably <laughs> should have because I just wanted to just shoot them and stick them together. And, and, right. and, and so, um, and, and to be fair, <clears throat> to be fair, as my wife would say, uh, I, I was shooting bare shaft. Uh, I had two that were bare shafted, and one of them what just kept flying left tail right but flying left the other one um and then and then i was i was bare shafting at 32 because i'm stupid but um so i was bare shafting at 30 and then finally after i was able to um kind of knock tune a little bit and just screwing with a little bit of shit and then i downed the point weight just a little bit um my my final um one of my final groups, I was, I smacked my broadhead and my, my bear shaft together 
but I'd also shot about 30, 40 arrows and I had worked on my, you know, I was really paying attention to my form at that point because I'm like, this is stupid. You know, like something, something, like you're saying, I'm masking an issue that's there with my FOC, but not every single time am I shooting my bear shaft is at the same exact angle, which is making right. my, which is on me, right? Correct. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so exactly. I, after about 30 or 40 arrows, I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's actually pay attention to what we're freaking doing here. And, and then it, it, shit really started to tighten up after that. And, and I, it usually takes me about 30, 40 arrows just to warm up, to be honest with you. So, right. um, you know, it's, it's really fascinating. And I called my buddy who builds arrows and, and he's got these charts and he's an engineer. I'm like, what's the minimum point weight I can shoot with this freaking arrow build? Cause I don't want to be at 575, you know? Right. And, uh, cause I, I was at 535 last year and, and I didn't really care for the trajectory too much. It didn't bother me that much, but 575 is, is, is a little too heavy for me. That's and, a, uh, that, that's a, what's your draw <clears throat> again? Mine's 28. And 70 pounds. So I'm probably okay. shooting like 245, 250. Yeah. That's right a, now. that's a, that's a, that would be what I would consider a big boy build. Like, yeah. So w w when I built my shafts, um, I'm shooting the Easton 260 axis. And when I originally built it, as I glanced over at the picture of my bison on the wall, um, I built it to go hunt bison down in Texas out of Buddy's Ranch. And so I wanted a heavy arrow, not high fence, by the way. Chill out. Um, not and so you pet it before you shot it, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell, hell to the no! I did not. Um, I actually got way too close. The general manager, who was a buddy, was sitting in the sitting back with my wife Kathy, and he was freaking his ass out because I actually got up to like thirty-five yards. Oh shit. And yeah, no, and apparently that was not highly recommended either. But I wanted to build an arrow that was in the 580 to 585 to 595 range mm -hmm. uh, simply for that simply for that hunt. What ended up happening, and, and look, man, I, I, I get this question a good bit. I have not figured out my true FOC in probably 12 plus years. I don't give a shit. I don't care. Hmm. I, I shoot and I build so much shit. I can, it, the analogy is like if you have a motorhead for a friend and you pull up and you're like, I don't think my car's running right. And they can just listen to it. <laughs> right. A lot of us have done this so much. I don't need to, I don't need to check my FOC anymore. I don't care. I don't check my momentum or my kinetic energy. I, I haven't did that shit for over a decade. I don't hmm. care. What I can do is I can build a bullet, period. And so what I did was I was like, okay, I don't like the broadhead to come back behind the riser in any kind of way. So for me, I always cut my hunting arrows to the front of the shelf, front of the bow, every time by just, and yes, folks, I could tell you stories of some, hey, doggy dog, your dog's in the house. Um, I could literally tell you stories about a particular pro cutting arrows way back to the rest with broadheads, shooting a Hoyt Carbon, one of the original ones back in the day, and going to shoot and having a rest failure and sticking the broadhead into the back of the riser above his hand and holding the bow at full draw. The arrow was. Well, that's sketchy. 
you think throws the bow the bow blows up <laughs> so i'm like nah man safety first i'm not having any of that shit happen so i cut my arrows to the front of the riser period now if i was using a system like and i'm not right now but if i was to run a system like yours like you are i might cut it a little bit shorter to account for the components but my broadhead at full draw will be directly in front of my riser mm. every time no matter what that's just a fact and so when i built it uh, i put the 75 grain insert up front uh, at the, and, and i vary sometimes between 100 to 125 grain head depending on what i was shooting at the time and then i just put three of the uh max stealths from aae with a true one percent on them and dude they shot so good i had to stop shooting uh at the at the time i was testing around with some trophy taker fixed blades i had to stop shooting the same dot at 80. um wow. they shot so goddamn good i was like wow for one wow totally wow mm -hmm. and then when i shot them through the chrono and they were over 275 i'm like well, why why would I even change this build? And then I went to Alaska to hunt moose. I didn't get a shot. That's Dave. That's Dave Madden's fault. But um, <laughs> I'm I'm kidding, Dave. Um, mm -hmm. But that's basically the rig I've shot ever since. It doesn't matter. I got two mule deer with it. The last mule deer that I got with it, I actually intentionally stopped at 88 yards because I'd shot so shitty in Reading the last several years that I wanted to shoot at 88 <laughs> yards just to prove I could do it. Um, so smashed a nice mule deer at 88. And so that rig for me has is so accurate and it's fast enough. I'm not going to change. And I can I'm go shoot. Here. Yeah, I can go shoot bison with it. I can shoot buffalo or excuse me, um, uh, moose. I could do, I could literally hunt anything with that rig. And so I'm fortunate enough with my draw length. And I'll be honest, it's a, that's a draw length thing. If I had built that same arrow and it was doing 248, hmm, yeah, I'd have built that rig, hunted the bison, hunted the moose, and I'd have come home and I'd have changed. Yeah. But so for you, you know, you have to mitigate that, that build. But I would, all I would say to you is I would never, I would never try to mask a flight issue with more FOC, regardless of what's <laughs> happening downrange, because um, if that you know, because under perf uh, under a perfect scenario, like what you were talking about, mm. under a perfect scenario, it's all love, peace, and chicken grease. You're shooting great little things, that, but what about when it's not a perfect scenario? What you know? What about what about that situation when there's a little bit of wind here and a little bit of wind there, or what about when you're shitting your pants or what about when you're peeing down your leg or what about when your posture's not quite right and you got to lean so you're in my opinion you are just basically taking out room for error from yourself makes sense um when everything's perfect and great oh, everything's perfect and great however when things are on the line and when you're having a flight issue like you are regardless of what it's doing downrange anything that affects that arrow like wind or what have you is going to have a greater effect than it would normally. And so it's a forgiveness thing for mm -hmm. me. So yeah, I, I aim a little farther back. I, you know, a lot of guys aim for that triangle right there that, mm -hmm. you know, I'm talking about, I mean, where do you, where are you aiming on an animal? Well, it depends. I mean, ju just like anything else, it's, uh, you know, it's, it is literally, I'm a massive believer in situational awareness. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, 
for instance, I just referenced that 88 yard shot on that mule deer. It was a little bit quartering away from me. Hmm. Not, not a hard quarter, but enough to where I had to aim several ribs back. Just literally had to aim several ribs back if I wanted to make an, an, an ethical shot. Sure enough, hit right behind the pin, went up through the pump house. The, it was, came right out in between the front shoulder blades, ran 30 yards and died. It was Gucci. Hmm. Um, on the Oryx shot that I made at 100 that I still continue to get messages about, um, <laughs> it was that animal, right? That animal was aware of my presence, uh, would not let me get any closer than 100, would stare me down. And when I took that half step to 99, he would walk up the walk up 20, 30 yards and stop. So with him, um, that and plus we were getting ready to have dinner with the gym buddy of ours. And I didn't want to chase this Oryx all over the hills. So, um, for that particular animal, he was straight broadside, um, front leg positioned perfectly. I was straight Ricky Bobby heart or miss. Literally. I was, I told myself I'm shooting for the heart and if I miss it, I'll generally miss low. That's my thing. Um, and if I miss low, I might cut some fur or whatever, but I'll either miss them or hit it right in the heart hit it right in the heart, luckily. Hmm. And so, I mean, it was a good shot. I wasn't aiming off everything. It literally, that was probably one of the most memorable shots I've ever made. Because it was one of those situations where everything's aiming. I, I shoot a hinge to hunt. It's just, I shoot it so much. It's what I do. And uh, when that release clicked, all I can remember thinking is, well, pin's sitting good. If I can just keep it, pow, and off. And, <laughs> yeah. And so, so for me, it's really situational uh, awareness. Um, I will, I will not hug the shoulder for any reason, um, simply because, like you said, um, my fault, your fault, no one's fault, whether the wind moves a little something, the animal takes that half step, you know, even worse, if, if it goes to step with the off shoulder, which brings the, the shoulder side, you're on back, uh, you know, and okay, look. Yes, people at 600 grains shooting 277, it's not really going to matter. I get that. However, I want to give myself the highest chance for success as possible. Mm -hmm. I want the most, I want the most ethical harvest as possible. And let's just, I, I don't want to have to deal with a bunch of bloodshot rubbish when I get up there to clean out the animal. I don't want to have to deal with all that. I don't want to take that front quarter and have it just be absolutely blasted to pieces. So for me, it's just a matter of, of, you know, being aware in that particular situation. If, if I'm hunting, you know, if I have distance matters, the, the angle matters, every, every scenario matters to me. So, um, but, but no, I agree with you. I, I won't intentionally shoot to hug that shoulder because I think it's better. And you're right. There's a bunch of balloon back there and the lungs are a lot bigger than folks think, especially when you get up there to cut that animal apart, they're not inflated. Hmm. how big is a balloon before you blow it up pretty sure so yeah right so how big is that lung when it's actually in use versus when you go up there and cut the thing out so no i i agree with you i i i don't hug that at all so I, I kind of want to get back to the veins because um we, we we touched a little bit on the hybrids um and i had i've had a few questions well which hybrid and I know your answer, but I'd love to hear you talk about it and give me why. So for me, I, I run 
uh, I used to run the Max Stealth, which is 2.6. Um, now I'm a huge fan of the Hybrid 26 because I'm lazy. <laughs> I Just to be honest with you. So the Max Stealth is a higher urethane content vein. It does require a primer pen. Um, for There's lots of veins on the market that require a primer pen these days. I can remember back when I started, there was no primer pens, but there was hardly any cyanoacrylites either. For those wondering, cyanoacrylite equals super glue. Um, back then we would set, you know, NPV, we would use veins and put on NPV and take the old twist around clock timer from the kitchen and wait 25 minutes per vein. That's I would kill myself nowadays, but I use NPV so, right now. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's great. It's great it's stuff. Fast. And it, yeah. it, it is not fast. Really? I can do a vein in like 20 seconds. With NPV? Yeah, dude. I, I, I let it sit for 20 seconds, but next one, and then an hour later, I can go shoot. No adhesive stuff for anything. Yeah, well, with Not, NPV, you, you can't really use an activator, but no, we, we would... You can't? Because I've been using it on your, on your... I got the primer pen, the Easton primer pen. I was too cheap to buy anything else, so I got a discount right. on this primer pen, and right. then uh, I'm using the, uh, the AAE Max... Uh, just regular max. Right. Well, you have to with a max vein because it, oh, it, it, it opens up the material and allows any glue to penetrate in. But the, so, the MPV will mate with the, with the primer pen or is there an issue there? I, I don't think that there's an issue there. Oh, but good. And, and good. yeah, NPV was way more popular for, you know, uh, your higher urethane veins and your, see, cause back then there was no primer pen. So using flex fletch way back when, or feathers, yeah. you had to wait 20 minutes per vein. I've never had to wait that long. That's weird. Oh, oh yeah, dude. Well, this was, and I don't know what the material differences were from then, but yeah, I've I haven't used NPV for years, but it oh. is it's good stuff. It's fast now. I could I don't I can't attest to it. <laughs> I mean, I've been using it for three, four years, three years. It's the only glue I use now. It's just nice. I mean, literally, and I have I just bought the bits, but I, I've been using this cheap boning jig and and uh, twenty seconds per vein, like in the clamp, sitting there, and um, I take a Q-tip. Before it dries, run it down any excess. It's faster right. than shit. You got to give MPV a try. Well, no, you got your own stuff, but um, well, hey, maybe a nostalgic. Run, uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throwback. It, so, so, so with the with the Max Stealth, it's two point six inches. It does have the stabilization ridges on there, um, and it's the higher it's the higher urethane content vein. So it's uh, it's a stiffer material dynamically, uh -huh. um, and so. Basically, what what we look to do is, but with the with the Max, obviously you have to have the primer pen. So with the hybrid, what we wanted to do was a couple things. One, we wanted it to be lick and stick. No, folks, that's not literal. It doesn't mean you can lick it and stick it. It's not a stamp. Damn it! But Flavored right, veins. exactly. Maybe I should work on that. That would be another flavor yeah. veins. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. So, um, so what we wanted to do was we wanted to make a vein that could compete with it but didn't require a primer pen. Manufacturers could use it in fletching machines. Dealers could more effectively fletch veins for profit because we need to keep dealers in business. That's all it is. I mean, period. Makes sense. And so what we did with, with, the, with the hybrid is we took AAE. AAE's been using their base material, which is called PlastiFletch, for decades, like four of them, like 40 years. And so our, our EPs, which we make millions and millions of is made out of that material. It's lick and stick. It does come from the factory with a pre-applied applicator, excuse me, activator. But 
we wanted a vein that that was going to compete with the max so we basically used the 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 shape and the ridges of the max stealth so the eight so the hybrid 26 is still 0.6 inches long and it still has the stabilization ridges on it mm-hmm. but it also has another feature called base dynamics and so if you take the plastic flesh material and the max material and you hold them in your hand off of an arrow the max is stevie wonder could see that it's stiffer it's just no question and then once you put it on the vein that's when it dynamically performs stiffer and you get the higher performance but what we did with the hybrid is is i asked nick fisher and the guys here at aae i'm like all right look so everybody considers the relationship between the base of the vein and the body of the vein to simply be a function of adhesion the base is wider the base allows you to stick it to the arrow and then the vein can do its job Hmm. well i called horseshit on that Hmm. okay that not that it's not true but i said wait a second there has to be something more to this because the the relationship between the base and the body of the vein there has to be a correlation there so Long story short, the end result was was uh, technology or d- design called base dynamics. And what that means is the relationship between the base and the body dynamically affect each other. So once you take a hybrid vein and you actually apply it onto an arrow, that relationship allows that not as stiff a material to dynamically perform stiffer. Hmm. Make sense? That does so, make sense, yes. So, so even though it's, it feels weaker in your hand off the vein, off the arrow, once you put it on the arrow, dynamically that base makes the body react stiffer. So that was that part there. As far as the stabilization ridges go, the best analogy I can give you there is like a fluted barrel on a gun. Why do you, why do you flute the barrel on a gun? So it cools down quicker. Right. Well, what, what does the fluting actually do? More surface area. Mm, blickety blam give that kid a gold star thank you exactly that's it <laughs> that's exactly what it is so so if you can have a 2.6 inch vein that has more surface area than a 2.6 inch vein what are you going to get more effectiveness hmm. more stability sense. more stability more effectiveness the whole nine yards that's it um and so one, once we created those I pretty much just started using those because they're super, they're easier to fletch. I can fletch them way quicker. I don't have to use the primer pen. I don't have I don't have to write. I don't have to worry about Kathy flipping shit because of <laughs> of marks on the table from the pen. Because yes, even I'm that stupid where I'm like, oh, you just press down on this, and then I end up with a <laughs> one and a half inch mark on the on the right you know what i'm saying well uh, i'm laughing because i had never used a primer pen before because i just I, I i had built a mountain out of a molehill and i just was f primer pens i'm never going to use one i'm never going to use a product that needs one and then finally i bit the 11 dollar bullet and bought one and so it, you know i was reading the instructions it says dab it on a, a piece of fabric and make sure it comes out I'm like, so i dabbed it i'm like oh, okay there's a little bit coming out and then um i Fletched a whole bunch of arrow. I'm like, oh, man, I'm not getting any fluid coming out of this fucking pen. I'm like, very little. And I'm like, it says, wait for it to dry. And I'm like, it's drying immediately. I'm like, something's going on here. And so I fletched like four arrows. And all of them made it good. Like, they they are solid. Like, they, they, they went good. But yesterday night, I was fletching some more arrows. And um, I was just shaking the shit out of the pen. And I was dabbing it on the fabric. And nothing was coming out. And then I'm like, this is stupid. And then so I just... 
I just dabbed it really hard, and then it just, I'm like, oh, shit, the, it retracts. I, I had no <laughs> idea. I was like, I'm a fucking <laughs> idiot. And so, I, long story short, right. I got I got it everywhere. It was just, oh, yeah. But now I, you know, I got veins that have the, uh, yeah, right. have it on Well, there. and <laughs> l- let me address that that real quick, and, and that is that there's lots of those primer pens out there. So here's the thing, and and I see people online that are like, oh, the primer pens are just acetone, so I just use acetone. Okay, well, you're sort of right, but you're a whole bunch of wrong. And here's why. Yes, the main active ingredient of those primer pens is acetone. However, if you just use acetone, it leaves a white residue behind. And that white residue is not good for adhesion. So if you're using acetone, depending on the glue you're using and how quick it cures, the primer pens have acetone in them, but they also have other drying and curing agents so that when the primer pen liquid dries, it does not leave that residue. Hmm. That's what the primer pens do. Yes, it smells like acetone. If you spill it, it stains like acetone. If you smell it and taste it, it's just like acetone. (laughs) But the primer pens... Any of them, whether it's the Dr. Doug's Easton one you got or the AAEs or the TAC veins or any of those, they have they are acetone-based, but they have a drying and a curing agent in them that doesn't leave the white residue behind. So, um, so I'm transitioning over to the hybrids because I'm lazy. Um, I have tested them straight up against the Max Stealths, and I I can't I can't shoot a difference. That's Really? What I and I'm not the greatest shooter in the world. I'm not professing to be the greatest shooter in the world. I'm not Levi Morgan. I'm not Jesse Broadwater. But I don't suck either. I can't shoot a difference. I mix them all up. I throw them in. I even cleaned the labels off because <laughs> I don't care who you are. If you are doing a blind test, when you knock that arrow, you're going to see what labels on. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually took acetone and wipe the labels off of the veins and once you do that unless you like can feel it like i can you're not going to know whether it's a max or a hybrid so i just cleaned off the labels and i couldn't shoot a difference out of it so so that's the vein i'm using right now the 2.6 um one of the hot trends right now is whether it's three or four fletch um if you just i don't know if if any of you follow this archer out there he's from oregon he's watch out for this guy he's going to become a name one day his name's cam cam haynes um he's actually he likes to run too weird anyway um he's actually testing the high hybrid veins right now and he's trying the three and the four fletch um so here here's the thing basically what it boils down to is does does it give you a bigger bigger pocket on the back end yeah it does Um, does it, will it solve all of your woes? No, no, it won't. Um, depending on the broadhead you're shooting, depending on lots of variables, you know, one of the other things to keep in mind is as you add point weight to the front, it makes your arrow weaker. As you add weight to the back of the arrow, it makes your arrow stiffer. So that is, you know, and it's all relative. Four grains on the back is not going to change your spine by 50. However, you have to keep this in mind as you're building. I mean, I get so many messages. People are like, 
you know, they'll stuff a 22 grain lighted knock in the end of their arrow after put after running a 2.3 grain knock, and then they'll wonder why things are different. Yeah, you change things, and so um, I've shot four flesh before. They worked great. I had no problems with them. Mm-hmm. I'm currently shooting three of the max 20, uh, max 26s or hybrid 26s, and with a fixed blade broadhead, I. I have no problem shooting things at 100 yards. Now, one of the advantages of the four-fletch, especially if you want to drop down to like a hybrid or a max 2.3, which is rapidly becoming an incredibly popular build, um, is if you plan on shooting in any wind, if you pl- uh, you know, plus the, the smaller vein, the smaller pocket's going to be quieter. And, and noise is really something that we need to hit on as well. But... Really, it's a matter of, of what your application is going to be. Um, but those builds are becoming incredibly popular because you can run a little bit smaller vein, but you can get the same performance because you're running four of them. Um, really, it's just a matter of you know, uh, what exactly you're going to be doing and how, how your bow is tuned and your personal preference. I've shot both. Um, under certain circumstances, I did see a benefit at, out of running four over three, um, but the the three two point sixes have worked so good for me that I, I just I haven't changed in several years. Talk to me about helical and where mm-hmm. you stand on all that. Um, I prefer to run an offset simply because of the way that the base and the and the vein uh, work in unison, especially on the hybrids with the base dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you can run the helical on them, but as far as um, adhesion, as far as overall performance, uh, speed of recovery, not recovery of the animal, recovery of the arrow out of the bow, mm-hmm. um, I, I've ran offset for years, a lot of years. Um, and that's just, you know, I've just found that it's it performs a little bit more consistent for me. Um, I also find it's a little, easy, a little bit easier to fletch, which affected right. reference my lazy comment from several minutes ago. <laughs> hey, I'm on board. If I don't, you know, if it's easier, I'm totally down to do it for fletching. So <laughs> right. I don't enjoy well, it that much. You know, if I can just get it done and get it over with. Right. Well, and I mean, <clears throat> if 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 you think about the fact that you have a piece of plastic, and the the body of it is basically what's going to be doing the work. You want for me. You want the body and the base to be in unison as much as possible. And when you use offset, you know, with a straight clamp, you are, I don't know what percentage, I've not actually did that scientific data, nor am I going to, but for me, I've just found it to be a little bit more effective. Makes sense. So you said you're using an Easton, is that your hunting arrow currently with with the hybrid 26s? Yes, the Easton 260 axis. And are you doing any component system on there? Are you just using the hits, or what are you doing? Um, right now, I'm I'm just doing the hits. Um, I probably will. At I probably will. Whether I get it through this shoulder surgery rehab long enough, uh, quick enough, I should say, to hunt with a bow this year or not, mm-hmm. will remain to be seen. I'm not going to rush back. If I if I don't get to hunt with a bow this year, I'm already. I've already resigned myself to the fact that that might happen. I'm not going to push it. Um, what about so, a mouth tab? It's all the rage nowadays. 
Ain't, ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Um, I mean, if, if you have time to do it, that's great. I have so much other shit going on that. Yeah. yeah I, this is going to freak some people out. I would hunt with a crossbow before I hunted with a mouth tab. Really? Yes. Absolutely. Drawing that line, huh? Yep. I am. Oh. Yeah. I mean, just one, it's available Two, it's legal. Three, it's ethical. And four, ain't nobody got time for that. Right. Well, that I mean, sense. yeah. I mean, if you think you're just going to throw a mouth tab on a bow and go out there and sight that bitch in, I've tried it. You, you are on crack. You just message John Dudley and ask him how long it took him when he had his sh- shoulder issue to go from deciding he was going to shoot with a mouth tab to being able to effectively do it on an animal. And if you have that kind of time, knock yourself out. I don't have that kind of time and I just don't have that kind of time. That's it. So, <laughs> so if, if it came down to that for me, I would hunt with a crossbow before I did a tab. Yeah. I don't care. Honestly. I mean, if, if yeah. guys have a problem with that, then, then they've got shit way too figured out. Right. They... <laughs> well, and well, look, I mean, like I've said many times before, we are in a transitionary period right now, just like the old heads that we have made fun of were with, compounds and guess what in 2020 people are being triggered they're virtue (laughs) signaling and they're doing all the same bullshit about crossbows that trad guys did about compounds and guess what just like back then it's not gonna matter just like back then it's going to be fine you want to know what's not gonna be fine our declining numbers you want to know what's not going to be fine? Us consuming our own over what kind of, you know, uh, what kind of equipment you're launching an arrow out of. Now, I will preface this. Air bows that are shooting an arrow, <laughs> right. go fuck yourself. Sorry. <laughs> right. No, that is not primitive equipment. I don't give a shit what you I, say. I draw the same line with the ultimate muzzle loaders. I just, yeah. I can't. You load, okay, so it has a casing. You load. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, Mike, guys, this is not a muzzle loader. Oh, you're defeating the purpose. And I know I sound like an elitist when I say this, but it has a, it has a freaking casing. Right. So what if you load the bullet down the muzzle still? I mean, it has a casing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and. At the, uh, a thousand yard muzzleloader is is completely, completely. That's like shooting four hundred yards with a bow, right? I mean, seriously, we can shoot one hundred and twenty five yards, you know, in Oregon, pretty accurately with a muzzleloader. My, you know, I know my brother's a huge muzzleloader hunter, and I think if he had something standing at one hundred twenty five yards, he'd smoke it. But mm-hmm. no scopes, open breech, you know, all this other stuff. Thousand right. um, yards, and you're dialing in with a scope. That's that's pretty much a rifle. Right. Well, it's, it's not pretty much a rifle. It's totally a rifle. And you want to know what makes it a rifle? Gunpowder. <laughs> Sorry. If, if you're using a flammable substance to launch a projectile, sorry, man, that's, yeah. that's, that's a rifle. A and point. I mean, that's just what it is. If you're using compressed air to shoot an arrow, that's not a bow. <laughs> sorry. That's just what it is. And so, so that's kind of, my opinion on that, but yes, I totally would. Um, would I, would I use a crossbow before I just didn't hunt? 
depends. <laughs> Greg Ritz, right. Yeah, I wouldn't write. So I'm not going out of my way, but Greg Ritz did throw down a challenge for me to come out raw dog style. I've never shot a crossbow. Greg Ritz asked me to come hunting with him out in Illinois, I believe, and shoot with a crossbow, hunt with a crossbow for the first time ever. I absolutely would. I've got no yeah. problem with it. But I also have no problem using a rifle to kill a mule deer in the fall. You know, I love mule deer hunting with a rifle. I grew up right. doing it. And <clears throat> I, I probably like it more than chasing them with a bow, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, minus spot and stock. I mean, that's pretty freaking awesome. But I love mule deer hunting with a rifle. I absolutely love it. I feel like I see that deer, I can kill it. And that's nice for once, you know, like right. it's, exactly. it's, it's not that you can shut your brain off or anything. You still have to respect what, you know, the animal's abilities, but Man, it's right. sure nice to be able to reach out five, six hundred yards every once in a while. And right. Well, and I mean, and that right there goes to our conversation about veins. And I know a lot of people are like, what the hell is he talking about? How does that relate to veins? And it's and it's noise, or it's it's stealth, I I should say. From that distance, you are able to do things you're not at closer distances. That's just a fact. So as we transition that over to to arrows and veins and archery is the old adage of, oh, it jumped the string. Horse shit, it jumped the string. It jumped the Mack truck of <laughs> sound that is an arrow coming at you. Mm. And for any of you that have that don't necessarily understand that, no, no uh, insurance waivers needed here, people. Don't be stupid. But next time you and a buddy are shooting at the range and you're, he's shooting at – 50, 60, 70, 80 yards, go down there and stand well to the side, preferably behind another target or behind a tree, mm -hmm. and listen to that arrow as it's coming. <laughs> you as a human will literally be able to perceive, oh, here comes a whack. I've done it. You, you're, you will be able to sit there and just close your eyes and listen. You'll be like, oh, here comes whack. So if you can start to have a conscious thought of, Oh, here it comes as it hits. Imagine what a deer has, right. because when we're going, Oh, here it, a deer is already reacted. Deer's already gone. So it's not reacting to the bow. Unless maybe it's an Oneida, but uh, <laughs> just saying um, it's reacting to, to, to the noise of the veins. And this goes back to the, you know, look, what's the most popular vein in the world right now? It's rapidly changing. Probably blazer. 2.0 2 high profile veins. Hmm. Regardless, regardless of what manufactured is the AAE max, max hunter. Really? Or the boning or the, the bully vein that Easton's uh, using for NASP now, which is super stiff and unfortunately going to, in my opinion, affect some of those NASP kids scores because they shoot off the shelves hmm. um, and off of a little springy, I should say. So that stiff vein is going to be horrible for their scores. Um, any two inch high profile vein is loud. I, it's just, you can't get away from it. It's loud. And so when we start to talk about, you know, the question for me that I always ask people is, well, why do you think those veins uh, became so popular? Oh, well, they're better for what what better for what and no one can really answer i think oh, it's well, because easton's been using them on their arrows and that's one of the top selling arrows period but if you go back a couple decades to mm. when this trend started 
shops started going to them because similar to your scenario right now, not to hammer on you much, but I'm going to hammer on you. Ah, much, hammer away, man. Is is you have that right tear happening? Right. With a lot of point weight up front, so you have somewhat of an untuned, as as we define tuned as for our conversations. Correct. Uh, so more vein is going to help you a tremendous amount over less vein. So if you're an archery shop or you're a customer and you're trying to work on your own rig, which, oh my God, I, my head hurts. I need, I need to tell you that story <laughs> from the other day. I saw a post that make, makes me want to die. But anyway, is if you're trying to tune your own bow or you're a shop and you're trying to get people in the door and out the door and you can put a vein on your arrow that is so big that it hides untuned arrow flight better than something else, what are you going to use? We're going to use that. It's quicker, easier, and more money. Exactly. And it hides things. It hides It hides yeah. poorly tuned bows. And so any of them, folks, this is not, this is not anti any company, any two-inch high-profile vein, that's what it does. And so it became the rage. It became the, the, oh, I'm shooting these because I shoot so much better with it. Well, well okay, you, you may shoot better with it than you did a long four-inch low-profile vein. But is your bow tuned to its maximum capability or did, did this giant vein just kind of straighten out your shitty arrow flight? Makes sense. And that's really, that's really what it boiled down to. Um, now, as we come into the world, uh, I mean, how many times have you seen a guy not shooting a fallaway rest hunting these days? Very rare. Very, very rare. And so clearance, clearance has really not been an issue for some time. And so if you look at when the trend kind of coincided, when did Dan Evans and the trophy taker fall away thing really start to hit? God, I'd have to say 2005. Right. And when did the two inch high profile vein movement really start to kick in? I couldn't tell you that. I'm probably around the same time. Right. You think that's a coincidence? No. <laughs> Have a right. So how many people do you think before then that had the spring-loaded uh, tusk rests? Or, that was me. Or, <laughs> right? I did too. The old NAP double thing, the, <laughs> yeah. the spot hog golden premiere with the mm. two tusks, or shooting a springy off of the burger buttonhole. How keen would, would we have been about shooting some ginormous vein off of those? Hell no. We were shooting four and five inch low pro, lower right. profile veins so we could slide through all these tight spaces. Well, once followways came to be, then you could shoot this big, giant, tall, huge vein and not hit everything. Hmm. So a lot of this was, was not just marketing, but a lot of this was coincidence. And now, of course, people are realizing my arrow's loud as a Mack truck, like super loud. So how do we get, how do we get the archery constituency educated enough to where they can go, okay, I want to be as lethal as possible. So what vein can I put on that's going to mitigate loss of game downrange and allow me to be just as accurate as possible? Well, there's several options, but noise as a, in, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, and for what it's worth, take it or leave it, kick rocks or subscribe to it. It's really whatever. Is the material in veins 
is basically unchanged. I mean, you have some, you know, urethane's a big part of it. And here several, many years ago when the, when the uh, European Union changed the uh, heavy metal contents for colorants, that really screwed a lot of manufacturers because we couldn't use lead anymore. And lead really helps with it, with adhesion. Oh, I'm going to go down a whole, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole at this particular <laughs> moment, but um, that is why all of a sudden you started seeing primer pens everywhere. Where, where were the primer pens six years ago? We still had urethane veins, hmm. but the colorants for those urethane veins had different metals in them that didn't require a primer pen. And so once the European Union changed that, then eventually, you know, vein manufacturers had to follow suit. And all of a sudden we have adhesion issues. I have max veins that are in my blank bail box um, from 10 years ago. And I can't get those things off with a pair of pliers. There was no primer pens back then. Hmm. They used max bond on the max vein and they stuck like you could never imagine because of the metals that were included in now, folks, I'm not talking about like mercury and, you know, we're not talking about deadly metals here. We're talking about such low contents, but it affected the adhesion because the colorant affects the material. And that's where we're at now. So, you know, we do have some manufacturers out there that are trying to make two-part, two-material veins to get away from the adhesion issues. I don't, those really aren't going to take, those aren't really taking hold like they had thought, but you have some really good veins out there. Um and so the material's not really going, there's, there's really not a lot of places we can go with vein material. And I know everyone's like, oh, that's bullshit, it's 2020. Until I say this, unless you wanna pay 50 bucks for 40 veins. Yeah, if you tell me, yeah, yeah, tell me how that works <laughs> out. You know, yeah, so unless you want the price of veins to double, we got the materials we got. And so now it comes down to, finding performance in other ways in shapes in technologies like base dynamics in stabilization ridges and thicknesses of materials so finding these advances now is not necessarily like bows but kind of like bows it's incremental and so when we start looking at 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 all of these factors and veins noise in my opinion because look what is the what is the absolute minimum requirement for a vein right now? Shoot the way I want. I mean, if you change veins and your groups double in size, it's not a good vein. You're not going to accept that. So the, the, the vein hitting where you want relatively is important. And there's lots of veins out there that will shoot well enough to do what you need to do. There are. So now we're talking about other factors that are going to make things make veins i should say excel and the number one thing in my mind right now is noise hmm. period you have to shoot a vein that's going to make you as lethal as possible when i was talking to cam talked to cam haynes about adhesion talk to cam haynes about uh you know anything other than how lethal do you want to be and no that wasn't a play on the whole under armor thing be lethal but <laughs> I probably should have, but it's how lethal do you want to be? How many animals have you seen react to your arrow on its way and wondered what the shit? Well, 
it here. So, so right now, what's leading the way in veins is noise. Hmm. Because the other stuff, we now have primer pens. Any vein will stick. If you follow, oh, here we go. Yes, folks, I'm a giant asshole. <laughs> if you follow, if you follow the manufacturer's recommended adhesion process. <laughs> Hopefully, Garrett, you right. can play that back on a loop if you'd like. If you follow the manufacturer's recommended process, we, we get calls every single day of people going, these veins don't stick. Did you read the instructions? Well, no, I did it the way I've always done it. Mm. <sighs> Welcome to our church. <laughs> exactly. Read <laughs> right. the instructions. And I don't care what company it is. Read the damn instructions. Right. Um, well, that's just so, a man right, thing. We don't read instructions until something goes wrong or we need them. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Exactly. So, so when it comes to veins right now, that is really what I encourage people to look at. Look at noise. Will that, I guess, to back up, will that vein size accomplish what you need to accomplish downrange? Number one. Number two, how quiet is it? After that, get out on the range and shoot that shit. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that is that is the most important factors in veins right now, in my opinion. And my hunting arrow, my Easton 260 with three Max Celts or Hybrid 26s is quieter than my X10. Hmm. You want to know why? Because my X10 has three shield-cut veins on it. Oh, I think Shield-cut veins. Hmm. Shield cut veins are loud. Shield cut target veins are loud. If you're going to make a vein that has a shield cut on the back or has any sort of, uh, uh, you know, shape on the back that is sharp, shit's got to be stiff, like really stiff, or else it's going to flutter and it's going to create a pocket that's going to be noisy. Makes sense. So my hunting arrows are are quieter than my X10 target arrow <laughs> hmm. because of the because of the veins. That's it. And so, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people need to understand is, is that there's now, because of the educational process, um, there are more factors involved with what vein you choose than people realize. And it does matter. So you said you saw a little bit of a benefit out of a four-fletch, and, and I've played with four-fletches a little bit. Is that because you're just not getting enough surface area out of the small three veins that you're using? Or is there any other reason outside of just more surface area? Um, for me, it was at the moment, it was because of the broadheads I was using. But once I transitioned away from some, and I'm not going to say what broadheads they were, I, I didn't end up using them. Um, this was years ago, by the way. Um, mm. I, uh, the last several years, I've still ran three of the hybrid 26s or max stealths, and I've been shooting the iron wheels for a fixed head. Mm -hmm. Big old giant slab of steel out there, and them bitches throw. They, they throw, dude. They pound. I didn't index them. I didn't. I think I explained in the last podcast one of my litmus tests for a broadhead is my is my straight <laughs> screw on test. And yeah, I won't go. I won't go into it a lot, but just so people understand, is for me, I know how my bow is tuned. I know how my arrows are tuned. If I can't take any new broadhead, unscrew one of mine, and screw one of those on, and hit about an eight to ten inch eight to 10 inch spot at, at 85 yards. I don't expect it to go in the same dot. Uh, let's be realistic. 
Right. But if I shoot if and and I shoot a 50 yard dot at 80, but if I don't hit relatively close to that dot, fresh out the box, screwing a new broadhead onto my tuned rig, I'm 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 out. And hmm. so that's just one of my tests. Um, I don't worry about sharpening it. They're all razor blades. They're all going to cut the shit out of me if I don't pay attention. So it's it's all good there. Um, but but for me, it came down to that aspect of it. Now we can go down this box a little bit. Uh, Lee Lakoski went to hunt. You know, and, and this, and I'll give credit where credit is due. This originated with Randy Omer. Um, he will shoot sometimes four or sometimes six uh, 2.0 shield cut target veins on his hunting arrows. Holy smokes. Right. And so Lee Lakoski called me several years ago when he was, uh, actually this was just over a year ago when he was, he had drew one of those sick ass sheep tags up in Alaska. And he's like, let me shoot in 30 plus 35 mile an hour wind. Hmm. What do you think? I'm like, well, that's a no brainer. Um, I would run four to six of the shield cut 2.0s. They're going to be loud, but when you're shooting in 30 mile an hour wind, it's not going to matter. You could put a deer whistle on the end of that arrow in 35 mile an hour wind. It's not going to matter, but that smaller vein is going to create a smaller pocket, which is going to react less to the wind. Hmm. So that was a strategic build just for that. It just so happens Lee Likoski has fallen in love with the four 2.0 max 2.0 target vein build on his hunting arrows. So he, because I don't know how many of you realize this, but Lee Likoski is a super nerd. Like he is a super nerd when it comes to archery. He is a, he absolutely is as technical as anybody you could ever imagine. Hmm, I'm a super, that. oh my God. Hmm. He's, yes. When when I see my phone ring and it's Lee Likoski, I like literally schedule <laughs> off at least two hours because he is incredibly smart. I mean, incredibly smart. He has an engineer, uh, a degree in chemical engineering. Holy crap. Lee is smart. And so when it comes to archery, he takes his shit serious. And so whether it's tuning, shooting, whatever, Lee puts in a ton of work here. So when he knew he was going to be shooting in this environment, he's like, Hey man, I want to be as accurate as possible. And so, uh, he built this rig. He didn't end up getting one, but he loved the performance and he did acknowledge I'm not shooting these for whitetail. They're loud. You can hear them. You can hear them. Uh, they're probably not as loud Four of the 2.0s probably aren't as loud as three of the two inch high profiles, Mm -hmm. but they are louder. But that was a specific build, but he ended up coming back from Alaska and using that to hunt mule deer and elk and absolutely loved them. Really? Loved them. And so he did change for whitetails, but this last year, I don't know if the antelope footage has aired yet. I don't know if it's aired yet. So I can't necessarily say everything that happened because I don't want to salt Lee's game. Um, But he shot an antelope and he sent me the footage and the camera. The cameraman was about 10, 12 feet left of Lee. He shoots this antelope. And I think I talked to Lee on my podcast about it, but um, you can see on the camera that that arrow is damn near flying sideways. Really? And I'm like, now, mind you, this is from 10, 12 feet to the left of the shooter, Hmm. a right-handed shooter. So if it looks like it's flying sideways from that far to the left, 
that bitch was literally flying sideways. Now, Lee is no punk. He hit this antelope absolutely perfect broadside right in the pocket. But because of the angle of the arrow upon entry, Horrible it came out change. the other No, it came out the other side way back in the guts. Huh. Only got one lung. Went in. If 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 we could have erased the arrow and just shown you where it went in, you would have been like, that's the greatest shot you could ever make. <laughs> and it was, but because of the angle of the arrow when it went in, it follows the path. <coughs> it follows the direction of the angle of the arrow. It right. doesn't straighten itself out. So it went in absolutely perfect behind the shoulder, but came out the other side way back in the guts. I'm glad to hear you say that because I've, I've talked to some guys, um, and I, I, let, I let everybody tell me their opinions and stuff, and I just listen. So, But uh, I've talked to folks that are high FOC, and, and they're saying, well, if it hits like this, and I have my pin pointed like at a 45 degree on the computer for guys that are wanting to know, and it hits like that, a high FOC arrow will foom, and I'm just calling bullshit on that. So, yeah. So you hearing you say that, it's like, okay, that makes sense. And, and that's that. That is uh, that defies physics. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> so yeah, it, that, I just that, uh, that, I don't know, man. I, I I like I like higher FOC arrows. I'm not saying anything you know extreme, but you know, 16 right. for me is is I'm I'm totally happy. I shot 12 for years, never had right. an issue, but. Um, I just, I don't know. I just, it's, it was just really nice to hear you say that. I and mean, as soon as you said that, it brought me back to a conversation I had. Uh, right. Well, and because it's true, that's exactly what happens. It's not going to correct itself. That's the biggest, it's not going to correct itself. It's going to follow, <laughs> it's right. It's going to follow the path. The energy is going to follow the path that the broadhead cuts. Yeah. The broadhead is not going to correct itself and move all of that arrow mass inside of flesh. And align that's horseshit. Yeah. Right. So, <clears throat> Lee absolutely Lee, Lee recovered the animal quick. It died on camera, blah, 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 blah. But Lee calls me same day, sends me the video, you know, with the, with the obligatory, Oh my God, watch this. And then calls me later the day and he goes, I'm going to start shooting the four hype, uh, the four stealth, uh, Jesus Lord pool <laughs> your head. You stutter in some bitch. Um, Lee says, I'm going to start shooting the four Max 2.0 shield cut veins for everything but whitetail. And I'm like, really? Despite how loud it is. Yes. And here's why. He had some with him. You know, because when, when, when Lee goes to Alaska, they come back and then they hit like Colorado and Utah and, and they do mule deer and, and, and elk and antelope generally before they make it back home. So he has multiple arrow builds with him. Hmm. I don't think he brings a bunch of bows, but he has multiple arrow builds. And he's good enough that he can show up somewhere and retune and recite in and be good to go. But he said that when he, <coughs> excuse me, got back and shot in that same kind of wind, that his four uh, PM20 shield cut target main build arrows, which way pretty much within 10 grains because the only thing he's changing is the veins, um, even though they are smaller, hit about 10 inches different than his other built arrows, which had, by the way, my vein, the the hybrid or the Max Stealth 2.6. 2. 
So 10 inches, he said minimum of 10 inches. Hmm. So for Lee, that, that means he could have literally aimed 10 inches different on that antelope than he had to. Now, luckily for Lee, he ain't no punk. So he already had been shooting all these things in. So he knew exactly how much the, the max stealth veins drifted. He knew exactly how much the PM 24 fletch drifted. Mm -hmm. So he already had all that data. He wasn't guessing, but he literally identified that he, he can aim 10 inches minimum. He said different with the four fletch PM twenties than he did with the 26s. And he doesn't care about, yeah. And if, if you're shooting in that kind of wind or any of that stuff, you're not necessarily worried about, you're not necessarily, you're not worried at all about the noise of the vein because it's windy as shit. You can't hear anything anyway. Right. You're worried about performance at that point. And so Lee said he's going to start shooting those small veins for pretty much everything up until whitetail. Probably not turkeys too. But. Hmm. So that is, that, is the, that is the continuing education about veins that's, that's happening in our industry. Now, how much of that, you know, filters down to Joe Bag of Donuts? I don't say Joe Bag of Donuts in a bad way, everybody, but there's more Joe Bag of Donuts than there are Garrett's and Greg's. Let's just be honest. And so, you know, but that is the continuing vein education, regardless of brand, that I think the industry needs to keep looking at is, is veins are not just there for one thing. There are multiple uh, uses and scenarios for these veins. And knowing and having access to the information on what you're going to do is is huge. So the common train of thought would be less vein, smaller profile, better in wind. But Correct. with a four with a four fletch shield cut, it was performing better. You're saying? Yes, it which, was performing better because it was a smaller vein, smaller pocket, right. better in the wind. Makes sense. Define pocket real quick for me, though. So pocket is basically the wind pocket. We've all seen the the badass car commercials oh, yeah. where they have the car in the wind tunnel and the little smoke thing, and, and there's it, the circle of wind. Yes, and, and it slides right over the car, all <laughs> slick as worm sperm, and it's like, Ooh. I've never heard you that know, before. <laughs> you know, so right, and so well, if if you're a, a kid of the product of the '70s like myself, collecting um, earthworms and selling them on the corner for fishermen was an actual thing. So. I don't think it's actually worm sperm, but they're pretty slick. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. And so um, so basically the pocket is once the arrow leaves, the, the arrow will stabilize and those veins will create drag. And that drag creates a pocket of air, of disturbed air. Mm -hmm. And the bigger that pocket, the more it stabilizes. The bigger that pocket, the more subject it is to movement from wind. Hmm. The bigger that pocket, the louder. So that's what that means. Got a question for you. Annihilator Broadheads, have you seen them, heard of them? I've not. Okay. I want you to check those out and then text me what you think. Because okay. it creates an air turbulence. Um, this is this is their marketing. Creates an air turbulence. Creates <laughs> they, a, creates, preface. Creates a pocket. And uh, does all sorts of things. It's a very, very unconventional broadhead catching a lot of. And I have them, and I can send them. I can send a couple to you if you want. Um, I like. I like. I actually like the design. You know, um, they're, they're a tough, tough broadhead, but they are very different. And I'd be uh, one thing I asked them is: is that air 
turbulence or air pocket that you're creating behind there, have you noticed any accuracy issues or any weird steering in the back end of your arrow with vanes? And they, they, they said no, but I would love to see you take a look at those and then have you get a hold I'm of me. looking at them right you, now. What do you think? Very interesting, Broadhead. Because they, um, have, they have the, the, the kind of craters, little cups, three cups, kind of like the head of a ram cat, kind of. Um, so this is, this is a cast head. Yes. Um, I can tell by the porous look of it. So this is a cast head. Correct. Does the ferrule thread up into that or is the thrill part of the one of the one piece casting i believe i believe it's all one piece but i, I okay I, I could well be. the blades and the head most certainly are one piece you can see that no question right um but then there is the pos and i can't see from the angles of the dangles that they give me on here mm -hmm. um i can't see if the if the basically the the shank of the broadhead and they're not showing it from behind that's not a, that's not a uh, conviction of any kind, folks. I am just literally looking at these fifty-seven dollars for three. They are proud of them. Um, great squirrel heads. I suggest everybody go buy these at fifty-seven bucks a throw and sh <laughs> sh shoot them at squirrels. I'm joking, everyone. Um, 0 0.180 square inches, the largest cutting surface area of any broadhead. Okay, so. Um, I can't see the back of this to tell if the actual ferrule of the broadhead screws into this one piece casting or not. So I will have to uh, claim ignorance on that until I yeah. can see the backside. Well, I've shot them. They shoot fine. They're a little, little loud. Um, the 125s had a little bit of an issue towards the beginning of the stages. They had a little bit too much of a cup and they had to shallow it a little bit, I believe. But um yeah, I've, I've got some, and I'd love to send you one and try it out with your veins. Um, well, I, well, I can't shoot shit right now because of my <laughs> that's surgery. Right. So I'll just so. have to do the testing then myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I can't help you out right now, brother. Okay, so so, so in looking at these, uh, I do – I can appreciate the one-piece design uh, if, if – uh, just talking about the cutting head part itself. I can also see – from the transition of where each blade comes down to the middle and transitions up to the back to where the, to where the shank or the ferrule or whatever you'll call it actually mm -hmm. uh, goes up into the middle. I could see how that would basically create noise. Mm -hmm. I can see how that would be possible just from a, just from a wind wind side. I do like the cutting edges. Um, I don't see, or I didn't see what, uh, a 4140 alloy steel hardened to Rockwell 52. God mm -hmm. damn. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those are going to be hard as shit. Yeah. Those are going to be hard, which obviously means I hope they come sharp. Uh, Cause if you don't know necessarily how to sharpen something that hard, yeah. you're not just going to grab a typical old. Yeah. Well, Those these are, ones you can, you can sharpen on a flat, flat stone. And just okay. So they, they 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 did put some thought into how and stuff, and and uh, the, the the guys that own it are pretty cool and everything. And I've had their heads since probably right as maybe even before they came out, or right at right at when they came out. I had like two or three packs, and mm. and um, saw a pig killed with them last year, and and um, I I believe they work. I believe you know a lot of elk died with them last year, um, but right. I just always interested in hearing yeah uh, more feedback from from somebody. Oh yeah, she is. Uh, from somebody that that talks about air turbulence and creating a pocket, because these do 
are supposed to create that pocket. So yeah, well, here's the problem with that, and it's okay. Let me, let me back up here. <laughs> <laughs> the air pocket that I'm referring to is the drag pocket. Mm -hmm. So the drag pocket being on the back of the arrow stabilizes the arrow. You know what I'm saying? So creating an air pocket on the back creates the drag, creates the stability. It base basically the analogy, folks. I've not shot these arrow uh, these heads. They <laughs> they look like they're right. You see where this is going. Um, they look like they're made fantastic. Um, I don't see anything wrong with these per se. Um, you know, obviously, I would have some questions about uh, you know how can I you know once you put put them into your rig, uh, how well did they spin? Can you can you straighten them if needed? some of those things that are kind of irrelevant to this conversation. But um, when, when you have that, that air pocket on the back of the arrow, think of it when you're driving your car, where, where do you steer your front? Right. What happens when you're trying to back up at a decent speed and you're trying to steer? Uh, sketchy is really sketchy. Sketchy as shit. <laughs> right. right. Why? Because steering from the back has way more effect makes sense when you when you look at a forklift right or, or and they have the steering on the back they can basically turn on a dime why because it's more it's way more effective having the steering on the back than the front now what does that mean for this particular application stability if you create if you're trying to steer via an air pocket once again i'm not trying to annihilate the annihilator here um, if you're trying to create an air pocket for stability on the front, what's the rest of the arrow behind it doing? Fill in the blank for me. <laughs> I, well, that's the question. Oh, that's the question. I was like, I don't I, know. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, uh, that's, that's the whole point. Oh, I is, felt stupid there. I'm like, I'm missing the no, no, point no, no. here because I don't, no, I don't well, know what it would do. Right. And, and <laughs> until I actually get hands on them and shoot them, I can't either, but I can speculate. So, so number one, creating that on the front is going to mean that the rest of the arrow and the veins on back are going through disrupted air. See, that was my point when when I was, and that's where that's where it's causing a question mark for me. Um, is does it does that that turbulence have any effect on the on the basically the steering of the veins? Yes. And um, um, I've gotten good accuracy out of them to sixty yards. So I mm -hmm. mean, I'm not noticing really any difference. But um, right. it just as it is a, is a nerdy standpoint i just wonder if it is causing any steering issues but uh, even though i haven't seen any loss of accuracy out of them right it 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 could um it might not yeah um and if it does the real question for me is not does it or doesn't it the real question for me is does it matter because in archery a lot of you know and this is in the annihilator's defense a lot of marketing in our sport has more to do with fear mongering about things than actual results. <coughs> That's just a fact. Hmm. Um, so does, does the annihilator potentially create a, an air pocket up front that could affect accuracy at long distances because of what the veins and the rest of the arrow are, are doing behind it? Maybe. Does it matter? I don't know. And if it doesn't matter, I, then I don't give a shit. Yeah. For my and, testing, I'd say it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so, so for me, the first thing I would do, 
So I would screw one on. Not right now, of course. <laughs> 85 but I'd yards. screw one on. <laughs> and I'd step out the back porch at 85 yards and I'd send it. Hmm. And it, if, if, if it hit within my allowable tolerance, I'd probably screw on three. And I'd walk around the corner to probably about 100, 120 yards. <laughs> and I would stand there for several hours and I would just send them. Really? Not at this. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because at that distance, you are looking for more minute things than you are at 50, 60 yards. You are looking, you know, 85 is a pretty good, pretty good poke. Once you start getting over to 100, now other things start to matter. More variables start to matter. I have flags every 20 yards going down. Um, shot, you know, that's one of the other things is how, how will these help if your shot is not quite mm. on par? Um, will, will that disturbance up front cause any forgiveness issues? I don't know. Um, until I shoot them, I wouldn't really know. But in their defense, once again, back to the, the marketing in our industry and what rubbish it is for the most part, um, if it doesn't matter, then I don't care. And the only thing that tells me if it matters is when I walk down to the target. Hmm. I don't care. I don't care about anything else. I don't care how it looks. I don't care how it feels. I don't care what color it is. I don't care about anything other than the result. And in, in, in archery, I see a lot of people who get way more hung up on the fear mongering marketing aspects than they do the result. And I see people actually hurt their result because they're, because they are hung up on things that don't matter. Hmm. You know, for instance, uh, back in the day, I used to file down points and I used to do everything to where my, my arrows were two tenths of a grain, yeah. you know, guilty. <laughs> yeah. And until I was in Klamath Falls, Oregon, about 12 years ago. And we had our club Kingsley Bowman had an indoor range. Well, I bolted my hooter shooter to the floor, 60 yard indoor range, hmm. 60 yards. And I bolted my hooter shooter to the ground. And then I found out that about three grains hits the same goddamn arrow hole at 50 yards. And from that day forward, I was like, Psh, one and a half <laughs> grains. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. It's I'm no one is good enough to know the difference. And once I can, once in my mind, I was going from, Oh, it's gotta be two tenths to, well, three grains hit the same hole. All right. Well, then it's not going to matter. And I moved on. However, in, in archery, a lot of companies, and I'm not going to name any, but a lot of company use the fear mongering of, oh my God, oh my God, what if, or if you do this, this will happen. Well, okay, prove it. Prove it. Hmm. But, it but, but it doesn't actually happen. It's the fear mongering aspect. And so archers hook onto that stuff like a crackhead to a pipe. And it's what archers do. I've done it. It's not a condemnation of anyone. It's a condemnation of everyone because <laughs> we all do it. You know, we get hung up on something that is absolutely irrelevant. Man, I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I can tell you I kill more stuff now and I worry less about. <laughs> granted, I, I, I am a gear guy. I love gear. I love testing gear. I love researching it and, and talk, having these conversations. But I can tell you now, I focus more when it actually comes to filling a tag on woodsmanship skills, scouting, knowing where I'm going to hunt, knowing what to do in certain situations. I kill more shit now and bigger stuff and more consistently than when I focused on having literally plus or minus half a grain arrows hunting. 
No question. Because all that time no you're question. spending doing that, you could be doing what's going to kill you an animal in the woods. That I got nothing to add to that. That Boom. is absolutely – that's 100% true. <laughs> so. You are worried more about you yeah. than you are about something else. And it's, you know, it's – look at NASCAR. <clears throat> a driver, once the car is where the car needs to be or drag racing or any of that, once the car, the vehicle, in, in our case, the, the bow and arrow – once that gets to where it needs to be, what does Dale Earnhardt, I don't follow NASCAR all that much, but, you know, John Forrest and all that and all these drivers, once the car is where they want it, what do they say? I have it's no idea. Me. It's up to me now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's up to me now. Huh. The car is where it needs to be. I just need to do my part. But in archery, a lot of times, people get so hung up on, on the gear side because they don't want to worry about their part. Right. They want to have built-in excuses. They want to, you know, they want to fanboy. They want to do other things to not have to put in some of that work. Right. And you have already found out that yes, you have to put in your work to your equipment to get it to a certain point. However, <laughs> that's far less of a percentage of the overall cause and effect than working on yourself. The, the, the guy that I know personally who has killed more elk than mother time hunted in jeans and a freaking red and black flannel. Didn't even own a, doesn't even own any camo at all, at all. Hmm. And he kills more stuff than the plague. Well, that's not because he doesn't have camo on. It's because he focuses on the part of the story that matters. Right. He kills more stuff under 10 yards than like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And so you absolutely are, are on, on track for that. I mean, I think it's great all the testing you're doing and it's a huge service to the community, but I think ultimately what your testing is, is going to, you know, when everything's weighed and measured, mm -hmm. I think your testing is going to prove that a lot of things that people worry about matter less than what they think it does. Yeah. And you're going to bring light two things that do matter that most people don't think matter. And then you're going to allow them to focus on the things that matter more. Like, yes. How about you tune your bow a little bit and then shoot a quiet <laughs> bullet Yeah. rather than, you know, focusing on things that don't matter and then shooting something that's loud as a truck. Right. So, you know, that's basically where archery is right now. And, um, you know, I, I think people like you, people like myself that are willing to talk about it and say these things, you know, I think that's the kind of education that, that we need to keep rolling out because that is what matters that, you know, like this story that I, oh, my head, my head's pounding, just thinking about it. So I saw a post, <laughs> I saw a post on, so I saw a post on a group and I don't, I get added to hundreds of groups and then every few months I'll go in and I'll have to, you know unadd myself hundreds it's ridiculous but anyway so i saw a post in a group and yes folks this is going to be a pro dealer statement this is going to be a just because you can doesn't mean you should statement but i saw a post in a facebook group and this gentleman it was a guy had ordered strings and cables for his compound bow over the internet from a reputable string manufacturer has nothing to do with it. He had ordered a bow press. 
and he had changed his strings and cables himself. Right? Great. Good for you, buddy. Great step. Oh, it's fantastic. Until, <laughs> until he posts pictures of his top cam and his bottom cam at full draw, and the top cam is probably about a quarter of an inch off the draw stop, cable stops, by the way. Mm -hmm. And he posts the bottom peg on the cable, and the top peg a quarter of an inch off. Hashtag tuned. And, <laughs> and no, right? That would be yeah, that would be a thing. Yeah. And he says, just ordered new strings, swapped them out myself, but the lengths must not be right. How do I fix this? Uh, hmm. What kind of bow was it? I it, it well doesn't, doesn't really matter, I guess. I believe the <coughs> I believe the bow was a Hoyt. Oh, because it had double double stops. But yeah, like you said, the bow is irrelevant. But I immediately had to. I literally turned off the internet. <laughs> I literally turned. I closed my computer. I'm not even shitting you. I closed my computer. I'm like, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I just can't do it. So here's the thing. Just because you buy a bow press, just because you can buy strings and a draw board, if you're going to change out strings and cables yourself, and I mean, seriously, how many twists are we talking for a quarter of an inch like that, especially, especially on the bus cable of a cam and a half weight? That's where all the load is. That controls everything. Dude, we're only talking three, four twists maybe. And this guy didn't know how to fix it. Hmm. So why are you trying to work on your own gear if you don't know how to time a bow? If you bought a bow press, and I know there's people probably like, oh, you're mean. Yes, I am mean. But why would you buy a bow press and why would you order your own strings and cables and why would you do all of this if you're going to swap that out and then not understand how to actually time the bow? Yeah. That is, that's the very person that needs to be going to a pro shop. Yeah. I went to uh, Bowtech, and granted, they wouldn't show me much, but I went to Bowtech. I'm like, teach me how to work on my bow. Like, teach me how to. I went to the factory shop, and I'm like, well, we can't let it behind the counter. But I'm like, ah, fuck it. I'll, I'll watch. You know, like, show me how to work on this bow so I don't have to come back up here. Show me how to work on my own stuff. And those conversations need to happen more often. You know, I mean, for right. that guy, that was obviously a teachable moment. But, um, and hopefully he didn't get crucified too hard on there. But, um, you know, I mean, these those conversations need to happen. I like having conversations like this over gear because I believe that showing people that a grip matters, shot execution matters, peep height matters, your bow tune, all this stuff actually does matter. Your arrows matter. All this stuff matters over, you know, maybe what vein to use. I mean, not not to discourage people from what we just talked about. It's valid. There's a lot of valuable information oh, yeah. in there. However, just echoing, you know, what you're talking about is is man, you know. The, the worst thing, I think, in archery right now, it, it causing bad, bad, horrible accuracy is probably shot execution. And I, I see, and that's my opinion, I mean, 99% of people out there are shooting with target panic. And they don't even know it or they're not willing to. I mean, literally, it's probably more than 99%. It's probably 99.9%. Because if you could just go to the range, you'll spend all day there to see one or maybe two shooters. Mm -hmm. One or maybe two. I mean, locally. And I'm not, you know, not that I'm, you know, the end I'll be all right, you know, a pro or anything. I'm not shooting next to Levi Morgan, but 
the the knowledge about shot execution is so horrible that mm-hmm. I would rather talk about that than arrows, broadheads, anything. Because I think oh, yeah. that, no. that makes the biggest difference. There's no question. And there's multiple, I mean, we could do a whole other podcast just on that, but that comes <laughs> down to, to, to proper draw lengths, yeah. setting up the release in someone's hand properly. That's the number one thing that I ever, <coughs> ever talk about with anyone at a range is when I see them with that wrist strap, they got the wrist rocket. That's your release rocket. I don't care, but they can barely get their index finger around the trigger. Yeah. Like barely even reach it. And I'm like, what the, well, and they're like, oh, well, if, if this is how I fire my shot. Okay, well, that's making your draw length feel about an inch too long. <laughs> so yeah. now with your draw length too long and your draw length too long on the bow, your draw length too long because of the release, now all of a sudden you can't hold the bow steady. That's going to create target panic. No, dude, you're, you're absolutely right. And whether it's um, whether that person has advanced to the level of identifying it as target panic they're still punching the shit out of it because they don't think they have any other choice. And I have literally watched people with, well, I watched it this hunting season here in uh, Arizona. You know, there's a whole crew of us, uh, you know, Adam Meyer, Nick Fisher, everybody. And we all go out and help people pack. I have literally watched the most finely tuned rifle miss because someone flinched. I've watched people with bows do it. I've watched people with crossbows do it. It doesn't matter the equipment. If you if you just grip it and rip it, you're going to miss. It doesn't matter what it's with. That's it. And so to your point, yes, absolutely. The, you know, and, and that's kind of why I told that story is it's just because you can doesn't mean you should mentality. You can buy your own press and you can buy your own strings and cables. But if you don't know that you just need to add three or four twists to the bus cable to get that yeah. that bow timed right. Why are you even bothering? Right. Like seriously, go to the local pro shop and learn how to do these things. Like you tried. So kudos to you for that. You also have access. Well, I mean, I've got access to a bow press at my, at my local shop too, you know? Right. But you also have access to information. Yeah. I mean, you can call, you can call a dipshit like me and be like, Hey, what the hell? (laughs) And so you have access to, to the information, but for someone who doesn't, Think about how many people out there are trying to do what that guy did and have no clue what they're doing. Oh, I've been there. I My first few years, I was watching YouTube videos and taking good and bad information. And then, well, that almost killed me. That didn't work, you know, like, <laughs> and that's a big reason why I do what I do now. It's just like, man, I, that, that learning curve freaking sucked with a capital S. I, it right. sucked. I mean, right. using broadheads on ball bearings. The nap, dirt, dirt, <laughs> uh, what was that? The Razorback or something like yeah. that? You remember yeah, that I one? Remember. Yeah. yeah I I, do. I'm like, oh, that'll give me a better penetration. I can I can spin around bones and stuff. I, I, dude, I, I've done it all. I, like right. when it comes to stupid shit, I, I, I was there. So, Yeah, well, um, and that is the marketing fear-mongering <clears throat> that I'm talking about. Yeah. Is in archery, when a company markets something a certain way, the fanboys just eat it up. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's gotta be true. No, actually it doesn't because our AMO standards have listen to the words that are coming to my mouth. <laughs> zero accountability. We have no consumers reports. We have no official entities that hold any manufacturers to any sort of a standard that has teeth. 
They did just modify some stuff on the bow side to where now bow speeds are a little bit closer to what they're supposed to be. You can't fudge it by a, an inch and draw length and three pounds anymore. Right. But, but overall, for instance, could you imagine what would happen if a true consumer reports entered archery and they took every broadhead that said field point accuracy, accurate as a field point, screw on, screw on your, screw on your arrow and it hits just like a field point and actually tested that and then held them accountable. Hmm. That's so subjective. I don't know if you could because they're like, oh, well, we could get field point accuracy out of this setup or, you know, I, I don't know. I mean. Right. Well, that would be a tune issue. Like, <clears throat> yeah. The, the bow and the arrow is tuned as good as possible. Yeah. And this is the baseline. Man, I wouldn't bullet want that hole job. here. Yeah. <laughs> b- bullet hole here. Dude, I would love that job. But the problem is <laughs> in this industry, you would literally be tarred and feathered. Right. You would, you would, you would literally, someone would take a hit out on your life. But that's the way archery has went for so long is there's just no accountability. And so, you know, what folks like you do and, you know, look, I haven't put out a lot of technical content here of late, but, you know, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the last podcast, but, you know, I get a lot of requests, like when I'm doing a live feed for a bow build or some people like, well, are you going to show us how to tie in a peep? You're going to show us how to tie in a D loop? No, no, I'm not. Nope. Use videos on that. Good videos on that. You can find yeah, go on the Google machine. There's 732,000 videos mm-hmm. on how to tie in a peep or a loop. I'm not going to show videos on that. I'm going to show videos on stuff that's different than that. That's just not that's just not my gig. And so if you're coming to my page, for instance, when I'm doing one of these, it's not for everybody. It's for people that are already at a little bit different level. I help a ton of other people with the, what I would consider the basics. But, you know, that's and that's basically what it takes for any industry to have coverage is you need people to do the basics. You need people to do the intermediate and then you need people to do the advanced. Hmm. And right now in archery, the problem we have is like that guy just told the story about. He's trying to be an intermediate, having a bow press and ordering his own strings and cables so he can do it himself. And he doesn't even know how to retime the bow. So he's not even he's barely at the beginner level but he's trying to be at the intermediate level and in archery that's widely accepted because of the internet. So guys like you just need to keep doing what you do, man. No, well, I appreciate it. Well, I, I think, uh, I think if you're down uh, a, a shooting um, podcast would be probably a good idea. I mean, if you, I know that'll be the third time I've had you on the show, but I really enjoy these conversations. I get a lot out of them. And after the feedback I got from the last episode, um, if this one, performs just as good as the last one it'd be silly not to do another one for shot execution you bet man so you bet i'll be around but uh all right well and and i'm i've been looking for a a live feed um on on my pod bean you can actually do a live radio show style where mm-hmm. you can have guys call in you ever done anything like that nope i'd be down i'd be down all right. well let's let's try and put something together well i'll let you get going um i gotta right, get to work here too but i appreciate you talking man All right, buddy. Have a great day. All right, you too. See ya. All right, bye. All right, guys, this podcast, let's just give a shout-out to Greg at AAE. And if you guys haven't yet, be sure to check out his veins. Um, Great company with with Greg behind, you know, just doing a lot of research. And and, um, they've got a lot of veins, man. If you want high-profile, low-profile, hybrids, whatever, uh, I'll be shooting hybrid 26s next. Greg talked me into those. And uh, very excited just to see 
what kind of differences uh, I get and accuracies that I get right now. Right now, my Blazers um, are getting a little bit more accuracy out of the AAE Maxes, but I want a quieter arrow because I'm shooting a vented broadhead. So I'm like double loud right now. So outside of that, appreciate everybody listening. If you haven't yet, please leave a review on iTunes. Very important. Or visit the website. Uh, don't buy anything because pretty much we're out of stock. I don't even know if you can buy anything on there right now. But we're pretty much out of stock on everything. We have a few OP camo hats left, which... That's, you know, I think I got like four. So if you want to buy a, a, an OP camo hat, go ahead and buy one of those. But that's about it. So outside of that, appreciate you listening. And if you can, uh, be sure to share, comment, uh, talk about this podcast with friends. I really want to see us grow this year and, uh, and just see how high we can get. So outside of that, guys, appreciate you listening. And I will see you on the next one. Bye.